Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Rays got back to baseball Monday with more than a dozen players taking part in a workout at the Trop. First time they've been together since the shutdown in mid-March. We'll tell you how it went, and you'll hear from Kevin Cash. And the NHL is about to begin Phase 2 of their return-to-play protocol. The ratings are in for the match, Champions for Charity, with Tom Brady, of course, as uh, one of the participants. Best cable golf show ever. And have you watched any of ESPN's latest documentary, Lance, on Lance Armstrong? We'll have our thoughts on that. We have all of that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. So, Steve, I, I thought this was uh, really cathartic for me <laughs> and probably a lot of people out there to see Tampa Bay Rays baseball players at the drop running around doing baseball things as baseball players often do. This, this was good for the good for the soul, wasn't it? Well, absolutely. And, and I pointed out to you before the podcast that the last time we did not have baseball on Memorial Day, 1880. <laughs> there was barely a Memorial Day by 1880. I mean, when was that created? That's what, 140 Probably. years ago? Yeah. I mean, you're talking right after the Civil War sometime. Yes. Some Right after baseball began, actually, mm-hmm. uh, after that. Wow. That's so odd. That's so bizarre. Boy, so, put that in perspective. But, yeah, to see the players at the Trop and, and getting their first you know workouts together, obviously in small groups and social distancing and, and doing all the safety protocols and that, uh, right. but very good to see. And, and, you know, hopeful that baseball and their union is going to get a deal together. And, and even look like over the weekend the sides are starting to negotiate on that and, and starting to come to – Maybe some financial frameworks, um, deferring some money to the future, mm-hmm. and you know some you know, you know they, the players really don't want the fifty fifty revenue split, but you know it looks like the, you know maybe they're making some headway there. So you know hopefully they can get through that, and obviously the safety protocols too, and uh, maybe we'll have baseball in the next uh, month or two. The idea is to play sometime in July, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the sooner they get these guys back in, the better. I mean, you know, as, as you can expect, they took a lot of uh, caution. Uh, temperature checks at the door, uh, read Mark Topkins' story in the Tampa Bay Times. The coaches uh, wore masks. The players did too, except when they were actually, you know, working out and throwing and doing things like that. They set up sort of a makeshift weight room in the outfield grass, and they, they kept um, they're spacing, you know, together six feet uh, apart from each other, um, and so a pretty good turnout. Mostly guys that that live sort of locally, if you will. And uh, the main thing was, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, these guys have have tried the best they can, and we've seen everything from wives throwing batting practice in garages to uh, to you name it. I mean, it, it, seriously. I mean. I, Baseball is one of those things that you can go out and you can run and you can you know you can stay in a semblance of shape, but it's hard to 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 stay in in baseball to keep your skills up right and unless you practice baseball whether that's throwing or or, or hitting um, that sort of thing and so these guys have had to really get creative 
um, maybe more so than basketball where you can shoot around and, and, and things like that. Football is in its off season. So there's mostly this time of year, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of weight training and running and things like that, that you can still do. Uh, those guys have had to scramble to get, you know, to get weight machines and whatnot. And then of course, you know, Tom Brady calls you at 7 a.m. at uh, Berkeley Prep. You got to show up for that. So they've been able to play at least some football, but these guys haven't done anything. And they would be, I think I saw Steve, where they would be like their 58th, 59th game of the season somewhere in there uh, at this point. Yeah, I mean, they were supposed to start, uh, what, March 26th. So today actually would be two months ago the season was supposed to start. So yeah, yeah, they're about more than a third. 55, 60 games in, that's about right. Right. And Memorial Day has always been one of those markers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you start out the first month and no one gets too excited and then. Uh, you go along when you get to Memorial Day, and it's like, okay, now all of a sudden these these standings are starting to to take shape. And um, well, you can look at the bright side, and the Rays haven't lost a game, and it's Memorial Day. <laughs> it's true, and they're still in first place. They're in first. <laughs> That's right. They're undefeated. Um, yeah, it was just it was just weird. And and uh, you know, credit credit the Rays. I mean, the media was not allowed uh, to watch this segment. And look, I mean, there's really not a whole lot to see. Right? These guys are doing very little or running and playing catch and trying to stay away from each other as much as possible. Uh, it's uh, as Cass said, it was baby steps. I think they were excited just to get back to something that they're normal or used to given that it was very unusual circumstances kind of went through a back gate um, and certainly were wearing masks and trying to take every precautionary measure possible. They were allowed to play catch condition run and then kind of we we set up like a makeshift gym uh where they did some plyo work some lightweight stuff i think it'll continue to evolve as we uh go kind of day to day or right now monday wednesday friday get through this week and then you know maybe we'll have some discussions and see what kind of guidance we're getting from mlb if they are eager and ready to go um i think there's still a lot that has to be figured out, sorted through between the safety protocols, reentry protocols, and certainly an agreement between MLB and the, and the players. But um, a lot of people are working really, really hard to try to accomplish all those things in a, in a pretty condensed time frame. There's a sense of urgency for everybody just to, to play. This is our, our, our livelihood, the players' livelihood, and they want to do everything for the most part that they can to – Put a put a product on uh, on the field that can be seen most likely through a, a TV screen or a computer screen for the time being that can entertain our society. And I think you know m- all sports are kind of looking at it that way. But the Rays were good enough to get Kevin Cash on a Zoom and Austin Meadows on a Zoom, and um, you know that part that part was good to hear from those guys. And you know as as Meadows was saying, he said you know it's it was it's getting harder to sort of find motivation to work out, you know, with, uh, in your backyard. I mean, after a while you, you realize there's only so much you can do. You need to get back to playing actual baseball. Today I saw Mikey Perez and Jose Martinez up there, um, played some catch, did a little bit of workout with DC, um, did some running. And obviously the main, the main deal now is to, try to stay in shape you know um we're not sure when we'll be back back out there but hopefully soon and the main thing is keeping the, keeping our legs under us and staying in shape but it was good to see new faces i mean it's been a while since we've got to see each other and hang out and be on a routine so today was uh it was good to have that little change of scenery 
jobs and it's, it's hard for us right now to find motivation to work out in our backyard or to throw with our wives or work out with our dogs per se you know it, it's it's hard to do all that kind of stuff and find that motivation so um opening up the trough is huge being able to go there find routine and um i think what we're doing now go in do a warm-up uh get some running in and then th some throwing i think that's all you need right now um especially with what's going on small number of uh of staff was there um and there was a lot of screening questions and things like that I thought it was interesting too. In Mark's story, he said that uh, there's a hand washing station inside the gate. There's sanitizer everywhere, and in each pairing of players. So if you were going to play catch, you were given a set of baseballs, and that was it to use for playing catch. And um, you know, and then all, of course, all the equipment uh, you know was was wiped down and things like that after use. Um, you know, so I mean, and that's to me, Steve. That's the biggest thing is that these players are going to have to overcome. Um, because in, invariably someone's going to probably, you know, going to get uh, COVID. Somebody's going to get sick. I mean, it's, it seems it's a small percentage of people nationwide overall that are catching the disease, but um, when you're going to have that many players and that many teams come back and try to play, I think, it's, I think someone in an organization is probably going to catch this. And so if you're a player, you know, you want to make sure that everything is being done because the health and safety, you know, is is the first thing. Now, you know, these these are all young men for the most part, not in high risk groups, that sort of thing. Uh, but they want to make sure they take you know every kind of precaution they can. And you know, you still have, you know, guys like Blake Snell um, that has said that you know he he feels like he might be risking his life by playing. So you know that part of it is is, is still daunting for them. So they got to get. They got to get on the field. They got to see the. They got to see the safety measures. They got to feel safe um, in order to uh, considering you know playing the rest of the season or starting their season. It should be, but it but it was good. I mean, it was like you know. And here's the other thing that's weird about team sports. And think about baseball now. How many fist bumps, right? Mm -hmm. How many forearm smashes? How many pats on the rear end? I don't think Willie really Thomas baseball. is going to be allowed to pull off helmets anymore. <laughs> no, right. And, and the big hugs, remember a year ago, mm -hmm. they would give the big oh, yeah. hugs. Uh, uh, so all of that, you got to kind of like. So everybody gets the silent treatment after the home runs? <laughs> it's right. It's automatic. <laughs> Even if it's your first one in the career, in your in your major league career, no one can get up and, and, and high five you. It's just weird. Um, but that's, that's sort of the world we live in. So, I mean, I think from that standpoint, we're just going to have to get used to, uh, to what the new normal is and the new normal is, is anything but normal. Um, but, but I, you know, excited to see those guys back in the trop and, uh, they'll get more players in. I'm sure. I mean, they got a lot of international guys. This is the other part of the process, Steve. I mean, this mm -hmm. team that the Rays have, have, I think they represent eight or nine countries, um, on that baseball team and of course there's a lot of teams that are much like that and it's going to take some time and this is true in hockey as well that mm -hmm. you know to get to get players back stateside well and, and with some of the travel restrictions from both the mm -hmm. u.s and canada when you talk hockey and then from overseas and yeah, yeah getting people back and then if they have to quarantine when they come back and and so the, part of the long ramp up is just getting everyone back to to you know their teams or to wherever they're practicing doing spring training, whatever, um, it's getting them there and then making sure everyone's safe or quarantined or whatever, whatever's agreed upon for each sport and whatever they, their protocol is. Right. Exactly. And, and we'll see, um, you know, eventually, uh, 
what their next steps will be, and and they got to come up with an agreement financially first and foremost. Players and and Major League Baseball has to agree to that. The NHL, meanwhile, they're beginning phase two uh, of their return. Well, they're hoping what to. Is, they're hoping they're, to. They, they haven't begun it yet, right? Yeah, I mean, the NHL presented a what a twenty nine page document of their phase two protocols. Um, that they're getting with the the players' union and, and such. It would be no more than six players in the team facilities at a time. Um, no on-ice coaching or instruction. Um, but basically it's getting players on the ice and voluntary workouts to get them skating again, essentially, is the biggest thing that you come – you know, you talk, baseball players and trying to replicate and stay in shape. I think hockey's the hardest sport of them all because no one's been on skates. And and right. and players will tell you rollerblading is okay for the legs and that, but it's not the same as feeling that ice under you, um, and with the the sharp blades and that. So, um, you know, getting them on the ice that's a big part of phase two. Um, they're hoping that this will be put into effect pretty quickly. Um, you know, that maybe later this week or early next week they'll start having voluntary workouts at the facilities. And the only ones that have been skating are the players uh, rehabbing, right? Guys like Steven Stamkos, uh, they've been allowed to skate. Yes, and I'm not sure if he's still rehabbing at this point. But, yeah, if you're under rehab, you can. Um, And Also, I believe uh, if if some of the players uh, that are from Sweden return there, those ice rinks are open. But beyond that, that's it. Mm -hmm. I can't wait till they get that going. Um, So, yeah, so you have baseball. You you have the, uh, the protocols being laid out for the NHL. Um, what else went down? We had, we had a, a oh, the sock soccer, we had a kind of MLS had kind of a threatening memo, didn't they? Yeah. So, uh, apparently the MLS commissioner, uh, is not real happy that, uh, things are leaking out, mm. uh, Mr. Garber. And he said, uh, so if anything leaks out, you could be, uh, fired, uh, find a million dollars and, uh, for disciplinary action for leaking information. And that memo leaked. Yeah, of course it did. <laughs> That's what I love about these things. It's like we've got no more, darn it, no more leaking, okay? Anybody that leaks is in major trouble. And then you get a story that says that the the MLS has uh, has threatened anyone that leaks and that memo leaks. So um, good luck with that. I don't know if that's how that's going to work exactly. Uh, we were talked about, uh, you know, on yesterday's podcast, of course, the, the match, the Champions for Charity with Bill Mickelson and Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning and, and uh, of course, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks own Tom Brady. That sucker uh, was well-received uh, nationally. And, of course, any live sporting event, you might you might suspect that, especially one that includes Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and those two quarterbacks. But how about this? 5.8 million viewers, the most-watched golf event in cable TV history, according to TNT. And at a peak time between 5.45 and 6 p.m., which was uh, sort of near, well, not quite the end of the telecast, really, it's kind of midway, uh, the peak was 6.3 million That viewers. was around when Tom hit that shot. It was, you're which right. Which could have been a lot of seven. people tweeting, texting, et cetera, about it, and people started turning and it on got the him to the TVs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got them to the TVs, absolutely. Yep. You know, in reading, uh, you know, John Romano wrote a column about this, and he kind of had a timeline of the events, and I come back, went back and read that, and thought back to the event, you know, Brady came out looking really good on this. <laughs> I mean, if it's possible for a guy, and I think, I think you know, we uh, you know, watched Brady from a distance, obviously, for 20 years and all the Super Bowls and, um, you know, the, the Patriot way and sort of the shackles that that, that, that football team and Bill Belichick uh, sort of puts on his guys. And I, mean, I said this uh, yesterday in the podcast how, how Charles Barkley said he didn't really get a good feel for 
really who Brady was. We all know Peyton Manning in the commercials, and Brady has done some as well. But, um, you know, Manning just, just sort of has that deadpan humor. He could be a comedian. He's he's funny as hell, and he's really good at uh, uh, at tossing shade. You know, by the way, how come we never heard this nickname for Peyton Manning? And Brady used it, pay dirt. How did that not hook? I mean, all those years, a guy that threw that many touchdown passes, Peyton Manning, as and he nick and 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 uh, Brady's calling him pay dirt. That seems like a seems like a natural. Um, but I, I really going back and looking at all the all the shade that uh, you know that, that Brady kind of took, especially in those first six holes or so, and he looked like. He looked like anybody, right, on the golf course. I mean, did not uh, really control his driver, and, or he didn't even use the driver, but he, he was spraying the ball all over the place. It was a tough course, but then that that one magical moment, that shot on uh, from the seventh fairway that he holed out, I mean, that changed that changed everything for him. And uh, he actually played very, very well um, the rest of the way. I think he's like a, I think he's a seven or eight handicap. Um, so for a guy to be, you know, seven, eight, which is really, really good, by the way, I'd take that in a, in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? I mean, geez. Uh, but for a guy to go out there with Tiger Woods and with Phil Mickelson, we talked about them stepping into their arena. Um, but more than his golf, which was exemplary in my opinion. I, I mean, he, they, they came back, they took it to the 18th hole. It was just a one shot victory, uh, you know, for Tiger Woods and for Peyton Manning, who were actually a, a fairly uh, prohibitive favorites in that thing and got up, you know, uh, three holes right away, but I really thought, and if this is possible, this actually helped Brady's reputation. Um, I think it's better coming out than it was going in. Well, a couple of things. One, he looked human. I mean, yeah. you know, he you know he struggled at split the beginning, but then and and then <laughs> yeah, you know, and then the sense of humor to you know he splits yeah. his pants and he's even on social media afterwards talking yeah, about yeah. my pants wanting to social distance themselves and <laughs> you know uh, you know that. When you can humanize, that's what that's what Peyton Manning has done his whole career. And that's that's right. why he's such a fan favorite, and why ESPN is begging him to do Monday Night Football, and you know oh, every yeah. network oh, wants him a so part good. of it. Is his personality in that? It's you know magnetic, and, and the ratings for this to me aren't surprising. One, because there's nothing else on, but two, you add in the two biggest known golfers, Tiger and Phil, right, and then you add in two of the best quarterbacks of all time, and you had the NFL audience in there that's just begging for any content of NFL and, you know, those right. personalities. And it's, you know, a home run as far as that. And, and you know, but in, in having them mic'd up in the conversations, it, it humanized them too and, and made them, you know, more like everyday Joes instead of, you know, that's what you do at the golf course too is you rip your the guy next to you and give oh, him a hard sure. time. And that's exactly what they were doing. It was fun to watch. No, uh, it really was, and and they had they had good chemistry, and 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 obviously the fact that those two have competed so much over the years, and you know have been, um, you know obviously Peyton Manning, uh, you know, lost an awful lot, an awful lot of big football games uh, to Tom Brady, and he won a couple as well. Uh, so their rivalry, and we know what Phil and Tiger's rivalry has been. Um, so I thought that that was, uh, you know, that that was really a nice pairing. I don't know who they'll get. For the next uh, champions um, for charity, uh, but I, th- I think that any anybody that watched that and saw how those guys came out of that uh, probably would be game if you have the courage to step up there and actually hit a golf ball with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. It's uh, it's certainly worth your while. Um, you know the the uh, a little bit more on, on this Tom Brady is going to be you know one of the documentaries that will be coming up in twenty twenty one, and uh, it's not going to be. 
like the last dance for Michael Jordan, although obviously that's that's sort of the comparison you make just because Jordan's was a 10-part series and this mm-hmm. is going to be nine-part. And, you know, they're both arguably the greatest to play uh, their sport. Certainly Brady uh, at quarterback has, has six World, uh, Super Bowl rings, and that's more than Joe Montana and anybody else. So, you know, you, you're kind of looking at the GOAT and the GOAT. But but from what I understand, and Albert Breer of uh, Sports Illustrated had this in his Monday Morning Quarterback story, um, it's not going to be at all like the last dance. In other words, it's not focusing on a season per se. Uh, you know, they've they've accumulated a lot of this footage. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, the Tom versus Time uh, documentary that they did uh, that's uh, I think you can see on Facebook Live. Um, or something like that, and and it's uh, you know it, it, a lot of in, a lot of material, a lot of interviews were were sort of called from that that experience, and you know we know that his story hasn't changed. I mean, in as much that you know the, the twenty years in New England, we we kind of have lived that. Um, the previous Tom versus Time ended after the loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in that Super Bowl, and then the next year. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that's when he had the comeback against the Atlanta Falcons, the 28 to three, the 25 point comeback. Um, I believe the next year, and then of course, you know, they went on and they beat the Rams again. So there were things that have happened since that first documentary. So, so you have you have more material um, from his producer and and the fact that uh, he was talking about how in this interview with Albert Beer that you know. Tom really didn't want to be interviewed before the Super Bowl when they when they did Tom versus Time because he was very focused and you know um, didn't want the cameras around that sort of thing. Going into the Atlanta Super Bowl, however, he was he was not that way. You know they they had, they had been with him a lot uh, through with his you know with his family. He kind of understood what what was going on and he wanted to talk about his you know everything that was going through his mind. Uh, and then of course we know that he had you know authored the best comeback and overtime victory. Uh, against Atlanta, and, and, and he has won another Super Bowl since then. So there'll be a lot of, I mean, it's going to be, I think it's, you know, if I had to guess, I would say 90% New England. And then and then it's like, we'll see. They're not, I guess they're not going to, to follow him around with a camera necessarily in Tampa, although you have to imagine at, at key points they will. But don't get it twisted. They said, we, we recognize that the Super Bowl is big and that it's in Tampa and Clearly, if if it ends up, you know, if he ends up playing in that game, then, you know, certainly that would be uh, that would be even a greater a greater ending and, and more more legacy for him. Um, but they're not going into it thinking that this is about the twenty twenty season. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It's like it's mm-hmm. more about his journey, and his journey does include Tampa. But this is one year out of twenty one. Yeah, and I expect to see some from Michigan and high school. Sure, you know, and we know that story, but. They're going to go further in depth with it. They're probably going to talk to a lot more people. That's the key. They're going to talk to other people, you know, like mm-hmm. Drew Bledsoe, mm-hmm. people like that. Yeah, and you're going to get more details, much like, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, what you learned in The Last Dance, a lot of that stuff you knew, but hearing right. from Pippen in depth and Steve Kerr and John Paxson. That's what and, made it. Yep. You know, all those players and, and some of the opposing players, too. I mean, that's, you know, you get further in depth with all that. And that's what, that's what makes it compelling. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And then uh, finally, uh, you know, speaking of documentaries, the, the latest, of course, on ESPN is their, their newest 30 for 30 entitled Lance, which is about Lance Armstrong. And... I had just begun sort of watching the first episode of that on replay. I think you saw a little bit of it last night, maybe. Yeah, so uh, it's a it's a two parter, two hours uh, was Sunday night, and then two hours is coming mm-hmm. Sunday night. So I think it's four okay. hours in total. I'm about an hour and a half into the first episode. Okay, well, uh, let me just say this: and there were some things I did not know already, right, about Lance Armstrong, which is weird because certainly we we all lived it. I mean, seven. Mm-hmm. Was it seven Tour de France championships and, and then the, the doping and the scandal that followed that? And, and, and there's a lot of thoughts you have about Lance. What I didn't know um, is sort of his history, his background, which mm-hmm. is um, his mom was 17 when she had him, 17 years old, and mm-hmm. uh, did not know his biological father, didn't really care to. He wasn't in the picture. Um, was adopted, I think, when he was three years old by a man whose last name was Armstrong, and so that became... His name, which is kind of a cool name. I mean, of, of all, if you if you listed the the names of guys in that were the, that dominated sports throughout the years, the name Lance Armstrong sounds right. It sounds about right. You it know, should have been Legstrong, but you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. But. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Lance Legstrong would have told you exactly what it was. Um, but but it's it's a cool name, and so so he kept it. So he's like, you know, I kind of liked it, and uh, uh, and so he kept it, but. Um, you know, the early part of his life, I mean, he was like this phenom, you know, at 15, um, at one point he was leading one of the, one of the toughest triathlons in the world, you know, um, the kid starting the running phase of it, uh, and was, was actually ahead. And these grown men were looking at him coming out of the water going, what the hell is this 15 year old kid doing here? (laughs) And even though he didn't win the event, he was the story. He was the story of that event. Um, and he was just an exceptional uh, athlete almost from the word go. I mean, the guy, when he, when he was born, he was, he was damn near like 10 pounds, you know. Um, and so uh, he was just a – he was an A-type personality um, even at a very, very early age, you know, would, would, would push the envelope almost with anything he attempted, you know. And, and then anyone around him would be sort of – um, you know, sucked into that as well. And uh, they just, they marveled at just, you know, how, how much of a, how much of a let's go for it type of guy he was. And that, that ends up being, of course, part of his story. Um, but, you know, I mean, here he is, you know, when he was, like you said, when he was 20, like his mom was 37. So, I mean, that's, that's incredibly young, uh, you know, kind of a close relationship that they had. But, but Armstrong, I mean, as it, as it goes along, we're going to find out that, you know, he, he was such a, a, a divisive figure. In my lifetime, I can't think of an athlete who was so dominant. I mean, we've had steroids in baseball, right? Roger Clemens and Alex Rodriguez. And um, there's a lot of, of Barry Bonds, Hall of Fame talents, right? 
um, that that in my mind were were Hall of Fame talents before they used performance enhancing drugs. In this instance, I don't I don't know what I mean. Lampstrong, Lance Armstrong was was you know obviously documented pretty pretty amazing, uh, but I don't know what he does without the the well, doping. I don't know I don't know. And, and there was a lot of doping in cycling. I'm I was going to say the, the sport was, was pretty loaded him. with it. I mean, he was a yeah. phenom before that. Now, That's phenom correct. doesn't mean you're going to be successful, but there was a but lot you're, of doping you're already going better. on in that sport. That yeah. sport was very dirty and very... Extremely. You know, it was one of those, you know, and they've said it several times in this already, you know, either you're going to do the dope or you're not going to compete. Or you're going to lose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, was pretty, it was pretty well known throughout that sport that, you know, if you don't do that, you've got no shot. Right. Exactly right. And... You know, I, I mean, a couple of things. I'm, I'm, he sort of look. He 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 became a bad guy uh, in the sense that you know. And I remember Rick Riley, who was sucked into his greatness at one time, and then once all this was revealed, felt completely betrayed by him and lied to. Um, but there's an element of Armstrong's story that they're going to get to, which is really disturbing, and that is those who did sort of blow the whistle on him um, and even some in cycling that, that, you know, wanted the truth to be out there. He destroyed a lot of lives. I mean, he lawyered up and he took people down and in many case, in some cases ended, ended careers, you know, um, if you didn't, if you didn't kind of protect him and in that part, I'm sure, I mean, we'll get, we'll get to whether there's any remorse for, for some of the things he did. Um, but at the end, What's interesting about Armstrong is that this this meltdown that he has when the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency charges him, you know, with um, using and trafficking in these PEDs as part of a of a major uh, scandal. That's what stripped him of his seven Tour de France titles and and just completely tarnished his legacy. But all of that was was almost it was almost a turning point in his life. It freed him. Right, it, it 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 sort of cleansed him in a sense that, um, that he he could start to feel better about himself and 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 you know the once once the world knows your biggest lie. I mean, imagine the pressure of constantly having to be or pretend to be somebody you you know you clearly are not, and and to scream louder than anyone else who comes at you uh, until you muddle the wa- muddy the water so much that that some people were like, well. You know, I, I'm not really sure, uh, and and that was his that was sort of his goal. But once once it was out there, uh, I think he did kind of have a turning point. And look, there are a lot of things he did, um, you know, like the 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 Livestrong bracelets, for example. And we we know he got testicular cancer. He 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 muses a little bit in this documentary that maybe it was related to his drug use. Which is interesting. Um, well, they, they asked sure. him. I don't. You may not have seen the clip yet. They asked him. You know, do you think your doping caused the cancer? And he says, "Right, I can't say yes and I can't say no." He goes, "That doesn't know." Yeah. He says, "I know that. You know, the the year I did the human growth hormone was the year I got diagnosed with testicular cancer. So right. he says, I can't right. tell you that's what caused it. I can't tell you it ha- hasn't though. So I mean, he doesn't know and you know hasn't come to grips with it." But he still has major beef with guys like Floyd Landis, uh, his former teammate that that blew the whistle on him. Um, he called him a a piece of blank, um, even today. 
uh, and then, you know, Landis, uh, eventually, you know, filed a lawsuit and, and, uh, I think he settled at $5 million instead of the hundred million that he was seeking. This is going to be really interesting, but the, but the interviews themselves, you know, in, in some ways I was reading a story about uh, the people that sort of produced this and, 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 and asked all those questions. It, it was sort of cathartic, I think for Armstrong. So I'm going to be interested to see sort of how this series evolves and, and I'm just beginning it. You said there are still uh, two more hours left of this next week. And um, so it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fascinating, but, but man, I mean, can you name a, uh, can you name someone in a sport more dominant and during his day? Right. And we know now, of course, that the PEDs mm-hmm. were a big part of that. Lance Armstrong, you know, brought cycling to a point where, I mean, did anybody really follow cycling until Lance Armstrong became so dominant? Not in this country, I don't think. Not, no, not in this country. I mean, you know, Greg LeMond wasn't at that level. And then, you know, Lance took it to another level. I mean, you know, you could say the the Maguire Sosa bonds brought baseball back from. And that's going to be one of their 30 for 30s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, but, you know, to sit there and say someone who's as, despised as Lance is now for so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, Barry Bond still isn't well-liked. That's true. Um, That's true. You know, the first one that comes to mind, similar to what Lance said, although not nearly to the level, is Ryan Braun. Yes. When You know, he threw the FedEx got guy under the bus and got him yeah. fired and this, and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and and then later came out, no, it was it was me. You know, I mean, yeah. it wasn't to the level Lance did it, but, you know, Right. Really trying, you know, destroying other people's lives because of. To cover their own. To cover what, you, you know, what you're hiding yeah. in that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's the, but it, it's not nearly to the level of Lance, but, you know, that was the first one that came to mind to me. Yeah. Uh, a journalist who used to write for the Orlando Sentinel and then onto the New York Times and was a bestseller. She wrote a book on Lance Armstrong, wrote, I think, maybe a couple of them, but uh, Juliet McCour who I knew and we covered a Super Bowl together in Miami years ago. Um, she uh, revisited Lance after, after writing books that he obviously did not like. Um, and she wrote for the New York times, wrote stories there as well. Um, it's interesting just to see his evolution, you know, as a, as a person and, and how he has come to um, sort of accept this and, and move on, move forward with his life even knowing that he's reviled in many circles and, and uh, what he does with that. But, um, but the, the early part of the documentary that I have watched was, was fascinating uh, about just what a phenom this guy was at 15 years old. Yeah, I didn't realize all that grown stuff, ass, too. Grown-ass man. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, and because I don't follow, I mean, you know, who follows cycling? Right. Not a lot of people do. Right, um, or triathlons and that sort right, of thing, I mean, right? You know, so the backstory, I mean, you know, we all know Lance Armstrong and what he's done as a professional, sure. but, yeah, I did not know a lot of that stuff leading up. Yeah, so it's good stuff. Um, hey, one more then, thing here, Rick, and just as we're talking, yep. um, mm-hmm. ESPN put out a story. Troy Vincent, the executive vice president of football operations for the NFL, former player, yes, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the pass interference replay rule, and he says they failed last year. Failed miserably was his quote. Yeah. He says, we cannot fail this year. We saw a year ago when the pass interference rule played out, starting with myself that we put in place last year. Those outcomes were not good for professional football because we didn't do our proper due diligence. It played out publicly. Mm. The last thing people should be talking about is the way the game is officiated. Officials should be faceless objects managing and facilitating game flow. Amen to that. 
Troy's been very honest. He uh, mm-hmm. in Peter King's column, the Money More, uh, but Peter has used to have Money Morning Quarterback. Now it's NBC Sports. But um, I think he talked to Troy. Also talked to him about you know um, trying to improve the minority hirings in the NFL and sort of the the, the racial inequality that still exists so many years later. And and, and Troy flat out said, you know, we kind of the same thing. He said, you know, we it's been it's been a failure. Like we we have not gotten this right and. Um, you know, to have somebody that's refreshingly honest, even though um, in some cases it's obvious, but uh, but I, I think it's good. I think it's good that that people speak truth to power, especially when they work for the power side of things. And so, well, it's good the NFL uh, recognizes that what we all yes, saw and knew all year. Absolutely, that it, wasn't it was working. an abomination. Mm-hmm. No, it was terrible. Even though, um, if you talk to Bruce Arians, and we have. Uh, I asked him, would you like to see, you know, this rule remain in place? In other words, you can challenge pass interference for something that is not called. And he said, yes, they actually benefited not early in the year, but late in the year, he started getting some calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he, he still liked the rule. He goes, you know, he goes, the problem is, is that what they called in September, they didn't call in October. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just, they put everything in the drawer and said, we're not, we're never calling pass. Yeah, early on, now. it was like, we're not overturning anything. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just weird. But, um, you know, so he, he actually sees mm-hmm. the value in it and, and you can it can actually affect the games. But the execution was brutal. And I'm going to be interested, too, to see. And I think this is a good idea. The sky judge, you know, having mm-hmm. having a guy in, at each game, um, you know, making calls in real time instead of instead of waiting for New York or whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part I think that could be good. As well as some, you know, some kickoff rules and onside kick and things like that, we can get into later. But um, yeah, so the NFL's got a lot, a lot on their plate that they're uh, discussing as they watch Major League Baseball and the NHL and the NBA try to come back and, and learn the lessons from that. Um, nothing has changed with the NFL schedule, although I suspect that it won't be too many more weeks if everything goes well with these other sports. Uh, probably by July at some point, you might see. And I'm just guessing here. I have nothing, no authority to, to really say this, but um, you know, we know that training camps are supposed to start on time. At least that's the intention, which is usually the last weekend in July. I think before that, if they can get those guys in there, end of June, early July, to try to make up for some of the off season, because again, I think it's going to be very difficult for these uh, teams that have new head coaches like uh, Matt Rule in Carolina and other places and new quarterbacks. To, to have had no offseason except the virtual training, which they have been doing, and it counts, and it's a, it's a way of teaching. There's no doubt about it, but we've talked about how uh, being on the grass and, and walking through things or running through things is, is a lot different than, than any chalkboard or any, any Zoom meeting can really give you. So I think that's going to be important that, uh, that they get some of that back. So tomorrow on the podcast, uh, maybe the next two days, actually, we're going to have Chris Torello, right, of Spectrum uh, Sports 360 and Bay News 9. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll have our mailbag as well this week, so you can get your questions in anytime. You don't have to wait uh, for our call for that. But if you want to submit a question to us about anything, really, the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, you name it, you can always do that by uh, reaching us on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can send it to me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com. Hope you had a great Memorial Day. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 